Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Welcome to episode 84 of History for Weirdos. Weirdos, we're back with another episode. And happy Easter, Passover, Ramadan, all the holidays of springtime for all those who celebrate them. Yeah, the holy trinity of the Abrahamic religions. Yes, uh, we had a lovely Easter today. We saw the Mario movie. Right, because that's what Jesus would have wanted. Yeah, and it was <laughs> it was really funny. Definitely recommend it. It was better than I was expecting. Yeah. I'll say that. So tell me, Andrew, you have been very secretive this week about your topic. (laughs) Sometimes we, for the weirdos listening, sometimes we tell each other and sometimes we don't. And this week you've been particularly secretive, so I'm dying to hear what the subject is about. This is true, and it has absolutely nothing to do with Easter, Ramadan, or Passover. Wow, so it's really (laughs) thematic, it sounds like. very thematic, yes. No. Uh, This is an interesting episode because I don't think we have ever covered a place before. We almost always cover either people or events. Yeah, no. I don't think we've ever covered the history of a location. This is a a specific location, and it's very interesting. It actually came to me uh, by way of a weirdo. Ooh, I love the weirdo recommendation. Yeah, so this is a weirdo recommendation, and when I... When, I, when he sent me the message, I researched it, I was like, oh, yeah, I love this. I'm absolutely going to do an episode on this. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what it is. So today, we're heading underground to explore oh. the mysterious and ancient city of Darren Kuyu in modern-day Turkey. Oh, this sounds very interesting. Yes. I've never heard of Darren Kuyu. Well, and because when I say underground... Uh-huh. Let's just say that I'm not being metaphorical here. I was going to ask, do you mean literally underground? I mean literally. We are going underground. Um, specifically, we're going to the area in Turkey called Cappadocia, which is in the central area of Anatolia or Asia, Mi- or, yeah, Asia Minor, mm-hmm. which is like the part of Turkey, the most of Turkey that kind of juts out into the Mediterranean. Yeah. So this is an incredibly ancient part of the world when it comes to human history, where some of the oldest man-made structures in the world have been found. Right. You know, specifically the Neolithic site of Gobleki Tepe, which could honestly be its own episode. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about... Darren Kuyu. Yeah. So, <laughs> let's just say, imagine you're a poor farmer in Cappadocia in 1963. Okay. You keep on losing your chickens, and just they just go into thin air. Those damn chickens. I know, and you go to investigate and just to find out what the heck is going on here. Yeah, where are my chickens? Yeah, where are your chickens? Where are my chickens? So you determine that these chickens keep disappearing behind a small crevasse, and so you decide to renovate your house, right, to figure out, you know, what's going on? What's behind this little crevice? Um, now... I know people have remodeled their homes before and have found, you know, original hardwood, secret rooms, and even wells, Mm -hmm. right? I love those videos. Crazy videos, right? Mm -hmm. Well, this not all just pales in comparison to this. 
the unman that this unnamed man we don't actually know his name he found an underground extensive series of passageways tunnels and chambers literally an underground city under his house Un- yes behind a wall oh my god so what ended up happening was like there was a passageway that led to like a bigger passageway and he was like oh, that's where wow. the chickens were yes oh my god <laughs> I mean, That's crazy. This dude just wanted to find his chickens, and apparently he found like a whole new world instead. That is nuts. And I guess that's bound to happen when you live, like you said, in such an ancient part of the world, such an right. ancient part of human civilization. But that still must be so wild to discover. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's one of the most extensive underground dwellings in the world. And when I say extensive, I mean. I mean it. The city goes 11 stories deep. Oh, at my God. Least. And this wasn't just some dirt tunnels with nothing special. No, it was actually like a truly remarkable feat of engineering, you know, especially for like the ancient world. And it's something that lasted. This was yes. 1963, you said, when you yes. found it? Yes, 1963. Oh, my God. And we're going to go into the longevity here, too. Like, it's going to blow your guys' minds. So it was complete with living quarters, kitchens, wineries, and even chapels. Oh my gosh. Yeah. The construction of the city was really well thought out and planned. The builders of Darren Kuyu were really clever. They constructed ventilation shafts that reached all the way to the surface so there was constant like inflow of fresh air. Wow. So it wouldn't get stale. There was even a massive 180-foot shaft that doubled also as a well for accessing clean water. Oh my god. Yeah. Navigating this underground maze like just must have been challenging. I mean, they had a system of tunnels and passageways connecting the various levels and rooms and they used these massive stone doors called, you know, just rolling stone doors to seal off sections for security in case there was like an invasion. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And all of this could support a population of about 20,000 people. And that would all be underground, essentially? All like it was, of it when was it underground. When it was built, it was built to be underground? Yes. Oh, my God. And we'll get into, like, you know, the who, what, why mm-hmm. in a second. Um, but that 20,000 people, it doesn't even include the livestock es- estimates, which <gasps> there right. would have been livestock in addition to those people. This, is, this sounds way more detailed and strategically planned than Los Angeles County. Probably. That's that's amazing. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, Los Angeles County has, what, like, millions of people? Yeah, but look at our freeways. They didn't have millions. That's true. Yeah, they they were idiots. Whoever planned the freeways are idiots. (laughs) They could have learned something from these guys. I know. That's very true. So the first question you might have is, like, who built this and why? And I'm sorry to say that the answer isn't actually very that simple. Um, We just don't know the why. We don't know why they decided to build we don't 11 even... stories deep underground. I'll get to that. It's, I'll get to it. But it's also important to mention that this wasn't built just all at once. And in fact, it was probably a series of constructions that added additional tunnels and levels over a time horizon of centuries. Oh, okay. That's so a very this long was time. a very long time. I mean, probably even millennia. Millennia? Yes. That, that's, that being said, though, let's go to the beginning. And... Stephanie, what is one of my favorite historical topics of all time? Okay, you have a couple. Yes. 
But I'm going to say it's the Bronze Age Collapse. It's the Bronze Age Collapse! <laughs> you reference it so often. I literally even put in my notes, yes, the Bronze Age Collapse. Yep, you knew I'd get it. I knew you'd get it. So around 1200 BC, we think some refugees from the now-fallen Hittite Empire settled in the area and built some of the very first portions of the city. Okay. It wouldn't have been, if this did happen, this is only like a kind of like an guesstimate, um, it would have just been like the very beginning and would have just been more of like a, a nothing compared to what it would be. Yeah, just some structures. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's And again, I just want to remind everyone that this is just a hypothesis and isn't actually set in stone, no pun intended. Mm-hmm. But there have been some late Hittite artifacts found mm. when exploring the caverns. So it's a well-supported hypothesis. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. Oh my god, the things that they must have found. Oh my god, over the course of so many years. Oh my god. And speaking of the Hittites, their capital city of Hattusa, at its absolute apex, had a population of around forty to 50,000 people. So Darren Kuyu could r- fit roughly half of that population when mm-hmm. it would be fully completed. Okay. So that's, it's a big deal. Mm-hmm. So, but back to the Bronze Age collapse, we know that most civilizations at this time just completely collapsed, right? And writing pretty much from this period is incredibly sparse. Yeah, we don't really know what was going on. Yeah, there's like a, it's like 400-ish years where it's kind of like, we just need to rely on archaeology because there's just no writing. Mm-hmm. So it goes to stand that pretty much, you know, from the time between initial construction in 1200 BC to the reemergence of civilization in, you know, the early 700s BC, we can't really infer a whole lot of, like, what happened. We're, and, like, during this time, like, languages changed. Yeah. Technology changed. They're just, like, big leaps Right from the writings that we have of like, whoa, this is a very different... Yeah. I mean, one of my my favorite parts of the Bronze Age class was um, in reference to the ancient Greeks. Like, Mm -hmm. their writing system literally... Like, if you were to show an ancient Greek, oh, this was like Mycenaean Greek. Mm -hmm. So from like the before the collapse, they wouldn't know what that was. They would just be like, oh, this looks like gibberish to me. That's so nuts. Because it's a completely different alphabet. Um, It's just... I mean, it is just completely different it was like character based slash alphabet based before whereas like you know the ancient you know ancient greek is completely alphabet driven right would you say that it seems like some civilizations kind of started over during this time oh absolutely yeah some like you know egypt survived but would would never be the same right would never be as powerful as it once was you know the only civilization that kind of like came out came to dominance again was the assyrians okay but they they went through a a period of decline for centuries before that would happen yeah so interesting it really is yeah and we're just essentially really looking at archaeologists to help us understand like the absolutely fascinating history like at this point in time Mm -hmm. you know in fact actually the first time these caves are ever even mentioned in any sort of documentation whatsoever was because of a greek author and historian xenophon Mm mm-hmm And does that guy sound familiar at all? Yes, totally. 
So he's the main ancient source for history pertaining to the Greek uh, city-state sti- city excuse me, of Thebes <gasps> and our episode of the Sacred Band of Thebes. The Sacred Band of Thebes. Which you guys haven't listened to it yet. It's episode number 27. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Check it out after this one if you haven't. Absolutely. And he would be writing about this place in the 4th century BC. And by that time, you know, people would have already been inhabiting this place for, you know, roughly 800 years. The underground city? Yeah. That is so nuts. And that's the first time that we found any reference to it. So, you know, that's much later than what we're talking about right now. That, I can't, like, just... 800 years in is when we see the first mention. Yeah. Like, so much must have been happening in the city to, and to, like you said, to explain, like, why. Yes. Why is it being built down into the ground? <laughs> and, yeah. It, and we're going to get to that, too. So, we come to the 700s BC and to a group of Indo-European people called the Phrygians. And fun fact, they actually had have had a lasting legacy that even persists to this day in the most random way possible, their hats. Their hats exist to this day? Yes. Actually, a really... one in, in our... I didn't write this in my notes, but if you were to think of a Santa hat and take off the little ball at the top, mm-hmm. that is like a Phrygian cap. Oh my gosh, that's so cute. Yes. Um, <laughs> in fact, actually, if you even look at the seal of the United States Senate, okay. you will see the Phrygian hat or cap... Um, like within the seal itself because during the 1700s that's that cap became like a symbol for liberty i had no idea yeah i didn't know that either actually wow so they were really ahead of their time in terms of hats yes yes in fact even like like when we were in rome we saw like a a roman statue Mm -hmm. of a i think it was a parthian Mm -hmm. and he was wearing like kind of like a funky little hat you mentioned and, it to yeah, the that, professor. Yeah, and that was a Phrygian cap. Wow. A Phrygian hat, whatever you want to call it. I remember, weirdos, I'll toot Andrew's horn here, the classics professor that we were traveling with when Andrew pointed it out, like, oh, that hat wouldn't have been um, from his culture or his time period. He was so impressed. Yeah. He was like, yeah, how'd you know that? Yeah. <laughs> so because I'm a huge nerd. Because we have a history podcast. <laughs> we didn't mention that to him. No. One day we will. <laughs> we, we will. So, and boy, the, you know, the hat and the, that's just a rabbit hole that we can go down but i'm not going to okay but i, just, but I felt I, would, I feel you like wanted I, to mention it right exactly i'd be remiss if i didn't so let's go back to the phrygians they were an ancient civilization that was really known for their metalworking their love of music um and stone masonry oh that's cool yeah they were established in the cappadocia region by the 8th century bc although their roots go far you know before that actually fun fact and ironically they were the ones or their precursor civilizations were the ones that kind of um helped uh conquer hattusa and the hittite empire wow yeah so they found cappadocia to be a perfect location to you know to help expand and build like a true underground city because the soft volcanic rock made it easier to excavate Mm. and expand you know the already existing underground chambers that were there and so we come to the fascinating question as to why. Like, why did they choose to build this massive underground city in the first place? Right. So, again, we can't say for sure. There are a few theories that historians and archaeologists have come up with. 
One of the leading theories is that the underground city actually served as a refuge during times of war and invasion. Mm. You know, that would make sense, That's really smart. Yeah. The Cappadocia region was located among important trade routes, and over the centuries it was invaded and conquered by so many various empires and civilizations. In fact, at the end of this episode, I'm going to list them all out because it's kind of wild. So the underground city would have provided a safe haven for the people and, you know, a good retreat during times of conflict. Mm-hmm. Another theory is that the, the city was built as a response to the harsh climate of the region. Mm. So Cappadocia is known for its extreme temperature swings with mm. scorching hot summers and bitterly cold winters. Mm. Mm-hmm. So the underground city's constant temperature would have provided a comfortable living environment for its inhabitants, you know, protecting them from elements. Yeah, that's a really smart uh, hypothesis as well. Yeah, and, you know, of course there's the, the possibility that the underground city served multiple purposes, acting as both a refuge during times of conflict and, you know, more comfortable living environment during extreme weather conditions, and who knows, maybe even other things as well. So with those theories then, they're assuming that in addition to the underground chambers and structures, uh, the city, essentially the Mm -hmm. chapel and everything, folks would have also had homes above ground? I I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming yes, yeah. Like, I'm assuming that it's probably both. And, and that, like, just, oh, it's, you know, we're being invaded again. Or it's, like, an extreme temperature. Like, let's just move temporarily into the underground city. Right. Okay. And But I think I think that is true. But I also do think that there was always people living in there. Okay. There like, were people that, like, this is just where I live all the time. Right. Uh-huh. Since this 8th century BC, there were people, like, living in there. Okay. Um, and... It's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, like, not only was it just, like, built um, as a place of refuge, but, you know, again, like, it was a very defensible position. Mm-hmm. And, That's true. And again, like, I kind of mentioned it earlier, and I think I'll, I'll mention it, I'll get into it a little bit more later, but there's massive boulders that they could just, like, kind of roll and right. block off passageways. Right. It's really cool. So let's talk about how life would have been like for the people living in this underground city. Again, it's important to remember that Darren Kuyu wasn't just a series of tunnels and chambers. It was a fully functioning city, complete with, you know, all the necessary amenities at the time. You know, and again, like I mentioned and alluded to earlier, there would have been designated areas for food storage, cooking, and dining. Mm-hmm. The, the people would have relied on a diet of grains, legumes, fruits, and vegetables, as well as livestock, uh, livestock animals like goats and chickens that could be raised underground. I love legumes. Yeah, I know you're a big legume person. <laughs> they don't love me back, but I love legumes. <laughs> so, and also what's crazy too is Darren Kuyu uh, had a sophisticated water management system where fresh water would have been collected from the surface, channeled down through tunnels, and stored in underground cisterns. Oh my god, that's so cool. Yeah, this was very, very well designed. Yeah, great engineering. And again, that's why a lot of archaeologists and historians think that the Phrygians had a really big... Um, influence in the building of the city and mm-hmm. probably built a lot of it because of their just advanced understanding of metalworking and stuff. Okay. So, again, this allowed you know the inhabitants to have a reliable, fresh source of water even during times of siege when you know access to the surface was limited. And you know, additionally, the denizens of Darinkuyu didn't just like live down there and not do anything else. You know, there was evidence that they had their own sort of culture going on. Uh huh. Like a subculture? Exactly. Industry, 
like metalworking, basket weaving, pottery definitely took place as there were there's a lot of archaeological evidence of this. They also would have had like a very rich cultural life with the music, dance, religious ceremonies taking place, you know, in the underground chapels. That's so cool to think about. I know. So they weren't just, you know, surviving. They were living and possibly even thriving at times. Wow. The people of Derinkuyu were also incredibly resourceful when it came to their security. Again, the massive stone, mm-hmm. like stone doors that they could just seal off passageways in case of attack. I think I'm going to post like a picture of one um, mm-hmm. like on our Instagram. So make sure to follow us if you haven't already. At History for Weirdos. Exactly. You know, these circular boulders could be rolled off, um, but, you know, to seal off the passageways. But, you know, once the threat left, you know, you could easily roll Moving them back. back yeah. yeah. So there was also evidence of like traps and just kind of like, you know, passageways that led to nowhere just to confuse the enemy. Ooh, yeah. also very smart. Exactly. And the labyrinth was just massive overall because we're talking about like 170 square miles or, you know, or approximately 445 square kilometers of land, which just kind of boggles my mind. That's insane. That's huge. I so, would definitely have gotten lost if I lived there. Oh, yeah. Me too. <laughs> so now let's... And I, I'm pretty good with directions. But, yeah. like, I need, you know, I need, like, more familiar landmarks, not just, like, underground... Tunnels. Tunnels and stuff. Yeah. Secret tunnel. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of the <laughs> the secret tunnel episode in Avatar. Yeah. So let's talk about the architecture and just how they managed to carve such a massive city so millions of years ago, there was, you know, the area was actually just buried under volcanic ash. And this created naturally forming dome-like structures that Cappadocia, or Cappadocia is really known for. Okay. Even to this day. That's cool. And the rock that formed is actually really soft, making it, like, easier to dig through. And the, the Phrygians were, again, like I mentioned, were excellent stonemasons and blacksmiths. And they would chip away at the rock, like, just striking it you know, with sharp tools to remove large chunks, mm-hmm. carving out rooms, tunnels, and of course, storage spaces. Mm-hmm. But what's even more fascinating is how they managed to create like just a stable underground structure that lasted for millennia. Yeah. So they achieved this by carving the rooms and passageways in a conical shape, you know, wider at the base and then tapering towards the top. Mm. This distributed the weight and prevented collapses, meaning that they had a much more advanced you know, understanding of engineering than pretty much any of their contemporaries at the time. Yeah. Especially because this is like, you know, like archaic Iron Age, you know, so no one else really, I think, had this understanding. Um, Daring Kuyu, I think, in my opinion, is just truly kind of like a work of art, honestly. Right. It's both like engineering and art. Yeah, definitely. So what's really fascinating is that we know these series of caves were continuously habited for well over 2,000 years. Wow. Yeah. So when they have excavated, I imagine they find things from various time periods. And like, Oh, yeah. What a big freaking puzzle to have to put together. Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, and we'll, we'll like, I'm going to get into it, but it, it is wild. The stretch of time is insane. Yeah. And we know that, you know, that the purpose of the city really changed over time and, and was dependent on, like, what civilization was kind of in charge because mm. we saw them kind of come and go. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, these tunnels would serve as refugee centers for persecuted Christians throughout the centuries. 
Oh. So I guess there's an Easter theme here. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so first during Roman times, especially during the second and third centuries, and then later on during the Umayyad and Abbasid caliphates, starting in the seventh century. And but we also know that Darinkuyu was also safe haven for Muslim Arabs during the twelfth century. That's so sweet. Just like a religious sanctuary for people. Yeah. And yeah, we're talking here like, you know, a difference between like the, the classical Roman time and then, you know, the, the 12th century. You know, that's like almost a thousand year period. Mm-hmm. So, and in fact, according to archaeologists, the city reached its peak during the Byzantine period. You know, possibly a f- almost a full 2,000 years after the original creation by the Hittites all those years prior. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they couldn't have imagined. Yeah, no, they definitely could not have. I can guarantee it. And the city wouldn't stop having inhabitants, you know. Oh, no. Oh, no. In fact, the last people to call these caves their home were the Cappadocian Greeks, who were eventually expelled from the area and sent to Greece. So, Steph, want to take a guess just when that was? No. It was <laughs> exactly 100 years ago, right what? after World War One. Are yeah. you serious? 1923. See, I'm glad I said no, because I definitely would have been way off. 1923? Yeah. 1923. Cappadocian Greeks were living in there? Yes. Oh my goodness. Yeah, as part of, there was like a population exchange between Greece and the newly formed state of Turkey, I think. It was either the very end of the Ottoman Empire or Turkey, whatever. And then they, they had a population exchange. That is wild. Yeah, it is. So basically, people had inhabited the underground city continuously from at least 700 BC all the way to about 1923. Oh my god. I can't even imagine everything that those walls have seen. Yeah. And how much the earth and humans have changed. It's in pretty that wild, time. huh? Wow. That's incredible. And all it took was just some guy to be doing <laughs> renos on his house. For, he was to be looking for his chickens. Yeah, he really just wanted to find his chickens. And he found these tunnels. <laughs> yeah, and if you actually go uh, to the modern day city of Darinkuyu, um, which there's like a city above ground that right. has the same name. I assumed. <laughs> yeah. You can go and, and explore about, you know, 50% of the caves um, because it's open to the public. Oh. Yeah. I want to go. Yeah, we definitely are going to go someday. Oh my god, that would be so cool. Yeah, I think it's only like 10 bucks. What? Yeah, it's not that much. Weirdos, let's go. Let's do it, weirdos. (laughs) Let's meet there. And and before I end this episode, there is one crazy fact that I want to mention. Yes, tell us. This isn't the only underground city in the area. It's just the deepest and probably the oldest. There's more? Most likely the largest, too. In fact, Darinkuyu was actually connected to another underground city, Kaimakli. Kaimakli. I don't know how to pronounce that, actually. Kaimakli. Kaimakli, yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Through about five miles, or you know, roughly eight and a half kilometers of tunnels. The two cities were connected? Yes. <gasps> That's so cool. And in fact, some archaeologists estimate that there could be a- about 200 of these cities in just Cappadocia alone. 200? And get this, in modern times, only about six of these have actually really been explored. Oh my, oh my god. Oh my god. So we gotta go become archaeologists. In Cappadocia. In Cappadocia and find these. I mean, Cappadocia has always been a really important place in terms of, like, ancient civilizations. I mean, the Romans were obsessed with the area, too, and going back all the way to the Persians and everything. It was, it was wild. They were very intuitive and very just advanced, I guess. Yes. That's incredible. So... 
In terms of cultures and civilizations that inhabited the area, you had possibly the Hittites, you know, and then the Phrygians. With their hats. With their hats. Later, the accumulated Persians. Right. Then you had the Hellenistic Greeks, right, starting with Alexander. The Romans, the Byzantine Romans. Then you had Arab incursions into the area. Then you had the Seljuk Turks, the Mongolians, <gasps> and then finally the Ottoman Turks. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's wild. It's so wild. So many different cultures. Yeah. To have lived in this underground city. Yeah. Wow. Incredible to think about. And yeah, that is some of the background behind the ancient underground city of Darinkuyu. That is amazing. Yes. Thank you so much for bringing this up because now I'm adding a place to my bucket list for sure. Oh yeah, I, I definitely want to see this. It was, the pictures online were just like incredible. And weirdos, I hope you guys like this story too. I know it kind of is a little bit of a departure from what we normally cover, but I do think it was very weird and In the resonate best way. with you guys. Yeah. Also, while you were sharing, I actually remembered we have done an episode on a location before. We have? The haunted island of oh, Puglia. I, that was my episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so yeah, Povelia. Povelia, not Puglia. Sorry, yeah. Puglia, you're not haunted. No. Another city in Italy. <laughs> yes. Povelia, yes. Um, and it, didn't someone send us? There's a job opening there. Yes. Yeah. It was like a security guard um, posting and you get paid like a few hundred grand a year. To hang out on the haunted island? Yeah. Yeah. Not worth it for me. I don't know. But if someone's hiring, you know, freelance amateur archaeologists in Derinkuyu. There you go. We're down. We're down. So the sources for this episode were the BBC. Always a good one. Always a good one. Sometimes interesting. This one, it was interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> My Best Place, Big Think, ZME Science, Atlas Obscura, and of course, Wikipedia. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Andrew, again, for sharing about Darren Kuyu's underground city. That's going to be somewhere where we definitely go. Hopefully, weirdos, you get to visit or at least check out photos as well. And thank you so much. You know what to do. Follow us on Instagram at History for Weirdos. If you haven't already, please uh, share this podcast with someone that you think might enjoy it or leave a review for us. It helps the podcast grow. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time. Until next time, weirdos. Adios. Adios.